have been uh, studying the Beatitudes for the last month or so, and uh, if you are joining us for the first time this morning, or if you've been away for a while, uh, let me just catch you up real quickly. Uh, about a month ago, we started our, our winter spiritual emphasis, if you will. A year ago, as a church, we read through the New Testament in 90 days. And this year, we decided for this period of time uh, that we would take an in-depth study at the Beatitudes with the goal of accelerated spiritual growth. And so uh, many of you have been joining with us on this journey. Uh, each week I've been teaching from the Beatitudes of Jesus, and uh, there's devotions online and worship resources and going deeper resources. Our small groups are taking this to a deeper level. And uh, I don't know about you, but we have I have felt like I've just been going deeper and the Lord has been challenging me to take my commitment to these virtues to a new level. And so uh, if you're just joining us or if you've been away for a while, I would encourage you to jump right in. Uh, If you want to catch up, our podcasts are online on our website at connectchurchonline.com. And uh, one of the things that I love is each week we've got a five-day devotional for you to read. And I know many of you have been using these Pastor Bruce has written them up to this point. This week, uh, Linda Dykstra wrote the devotions for us, and they're wonderful. So uh, I hope you'll check them out. They are on our website, and if you're not computer savvy, you can pick up a printed copy at the Welcome Center right back here. And uh, they're designed for reading Monday through Friday, or I know some of you just read them all right in one sitting, and that's okay too. Uh, But I know that you'll be challenged and you'll grow together as we uh, work through these together. But we are on the fifth beatitude. And what I'd like us to do, as we've done each week, is read, read the beatitudes that we've covered already, and then number five today. So would you just read on the screen with me? Uh, starting from the beginning, from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Read that one. This is today's. Read that one one more time with me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Today I want to talk to you about the merciful. And I want to start by sharing with you a story that uh, came from a very dark time in my life. And I don't share this story very often because it's something that I'm uh, not particularly proud about, but it really illustrates my point pretty well today. It was the 1980s, and I was a young adult. I had graduated from college with a degree in music. Actually, I had a double major. I had a music degree and also had uh, studied, received a second major in biblical studies. And uh, the desire of my heart in those days was to be a, a professional musician that would tour around the, company, uh, the country and uh, record albums and, and perform before big audiences. And, 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 and it was just a driving force in my life. And, and I had met Chris, and we were not uh, dating any longer. We didn't have future plans, and I felt like this is the time for me to launch 
my musical career. But I had a huge problem, and that was that I had no money, zero money whatsoever. And, and uh, as I look around uh, the room, I can see my starving musician friends. You know exactly what I'm talking about, just struggling and scraping by. It's not easy to break through, right? But I had this idea that I thought maybe I could do it if I had enough money. And my dad at the time was involved in politics, and he had some connections. And in particular, he had a friend uh, who was the governor of the state of Montana in those days, and the governor's name was Ted Schwinden. Some of you will remember uh, Governor Schwinden. And, and so my dad talked to the governor, and the, the governor was kind of interested in investing in, in something that could possibly make a big return. And so he gathered some of his friends around him, and they, they chose on my father's recommendation. My mom and dad are here, by the way, today, and my aunt. It's really an honor to have them here. So uh, on my dad's recommendation, Governor Schwinden and, and, a, and a small group of investors loaded, loaned me $2 million to launch my musical career. And uh, so, so the first thing I did, of course, was record a couple of... <laughs> I recorded a couple of cassette tapes because this was even pre-CD days, okay? Uh, some of you younger people don't even know what cassette tapes are, but they looked sort of like that. And, and, and so I recorded these two albums at my own expense, and, and then what I did is I began to shop them around. Have any of you ever, have any of you seen the Justin Bieber movie? Uh, you know, some of you younger, yes, you've seen it. So it, if you've seen the Justin Bieber movie, he, he made a recording and then he began moving to radio station, to radio station, and meeting with producers and, and agents and all this kind of stuff. That was basically the path that I was on. And I had this budget of $2 million. I spent a chunk of money doing these recordings. And then I started shopping them, trying to find a distributor or a label, you know, who would, who would make me famous and get my name out there. And, and the... The recordings were in two genres. The one that's in the front was kind of contemporary Christian music. And then the other one was just piano music, kind of new age piano stuff. I mean, I'm not a new ager, but, you know, if you've ever heard Jim Brickman, it was kind of in that style. And so I was kind of looking for my niche in the musical world, right? So I I flew to Nashville, and I'm shopping around to all these different places trying to make it. Nobody would pay me any mind. I mean, it was just a shut door. And, and, and when there was nowhere else to go in Nashville, I went to the West Coast, tried Los Angeles, shopping around, trying to find somebody that would pay some attention. And in the process, the money ran out, and I had nothing, absolutely nothing. And the time came for the payment to be made on this loan of $2 million, and of course, I was confident that I would be successful, and, and by this time, I would have plenty of money to, to repay the loan, but the money was out. I had no contract. I had no distribution agreement. There was no way to make the first payment. I missed the first payment. I missed the second payment. I missed the third payment, and this is when Governor Schwinden calls me up on the phone and says, where's the money? And I said to him, you know, I'm trying, I'm working, I can, I can show you the list of all the contacts I've made, I've done everything I know how to do, but I, 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 I haven't made a dime, and there's no way I can make the payments, but please give me some more time, I'm working as hard as I can. And he said, you know, I've got to have repayment, I've got these investors, they're, they're banging my door down, and I've got to have the payments starting. And I said, I can't do it. And so he said, well, you're going to have to liquidate your assets, 
And because your father is a co-signer on the loan, he's going to have to liquidate all of his assets as well. And we're going to collect on the $2 million immediately right now. And this is devastating to me because my mom and dad have worked their entire lives. They've got a beautiful home. They're, they're set for life, right? But they're going to have to sell it all to cover my foolish adventure into the music industry. And so what I did is I got into my little Volkswagen Rabbit. I had a 1976 Volkswagen Rabbit. I drove, <laughs> I drove from California to Montana. I made an appointment with the governor, and I sat down with him, and I said, listen, Governor Schwinden, I'm begging you for mercy. I can't repay the loan. I don't know if I'll ever be able to repay the loan, but will you have patience with me? Please don't collect on my parents' assets. And he sat across his desk from me, and he picked up the loan agreement that we had, and he tore it in half. And he said, Russ, I'm going to forgive the whole thing. Just walk away and do your best to make it in this world. It was an unbelievable moment in my life to be forgiven a $2 million debt. Can you imagine? And the money was gone. So I walked out of his office, and the first thing I thought to myself was, man, I've got to figure out a way. (laughs) What am I going to do from here? Where am I going to go from here? How am I going to make ends meet? I've got to find a place to live. I've got to come up with some alternative career because clearly music isn't where I'm supposed to be. And I had no job. I had no assets. So the first thing I thought is I'm going to have to call a studio musician friend of mine that I'd, I'd loaned a couple of thousand dollars. And I called him up and I said, Joey, I've got to have the money back that you owe me. He said, Russ, I can't pay you. And I said, Joey, I've got to have it now or I'm going to take you to court because I've got to get started right now. What I did not know was that my friend Joey was the nephew of Governor Schwinden. And he called his uncle and said, guess what your buddy Russ did? And the next thing I knew, the sheriff came and arrested me and I sat a few days in jail. It was a pretty dark time. Now, that's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? I want you to know I am a big, fat liar. That story is not true. (laughs) But I had you right here, didn't I? (laughs) That story was not true. I didn't go to jail. I did record a couple of low-budget cassette tapes back in the 80s. I didn't borrow $2 million, never met the governor, neither is my dad. Uh, None of that is true. But I'm stringing you along because Jesus told a story very similar to this in Matthew chapter 18. And if you've got your Bibles this morning, why don't you open them up? Or if you use an electronic device like I do, you can look it up on your Bible software. Jesus told a story that is called a parable. And if you will, the story that I just told you was a modern-day parable to illustrate a point about mercy and about forgiveness. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start reading at verse 21 uh, to kind of set the stage for where this story came from. All right? Matthew chapter 18. The story is set up this way. Simon Peter comes to Jesus And he says to him, he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone 
who sins against me. Now you can kind of imagine, Peter's kind of a hothead. You remember, if you've ever read some of the stories about Peter, he's got a temper, he, he likes to mix it up, and I imagine he'd probably had an altercation, maybe with one of the other disciples, again and again and again and again. And he's wanting to know, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone for the same offense? And if you study this deeply, some scholars believe that actually uh, the, the subtlety of the Greek language was, uh, he was asking, how many times in a day should I forgive someone? It wasn't even generally, it was in a day. And he said, seven times? Would that be enough for me to forgive seven times for the same offense? And Jesus said this in verse 22. He said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Can anybody do the math? How many is that? 490. All right, you're smarter than I am. And then he launched into this story, this parable that was very similar to the story I told you about a man who had, who had borrowed several million dollars and couldn't repay it, and, and he begged for mercy, and, and the lender gave him mercy, forgave the entire debt, and then when the guy uh, went out and he found somebody else that owed him a small amount of money, and he had him thrown in jail because he couldn't pay the debt. And when the king heard about it, all kinds of trouble started. And so if you've got your Bibles, jump down to verse 31, and that's where I want to start reading. It says this, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. The behavior of the man who had been forgiven the large debt, they were upset. And so they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. The angry king sent the the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. And then Jesus wrapped it up this way. He said, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Sobering words, are they not? Uh, For me, when I read that story in that last line, that this is what my heavenly father will do to me if I don't forgive, it, it, it goes somewhere deep in me. Why? Because I am not a naturally merciful person. If I am deeply hurt, and especially if I'm hurt again and again and again, I don't forgive easily. How about you? This is a difficult thing to to hear. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And like I've said week after week in this series, uh, this this beatitude, these blessings of Jesus are topsy-turvy, right? They, They just don't make sense in our mind. And this one in particular is really topsy-turvy. It seems backwards because we think that everyone should get what they deserve. We think that if you work for it, you should get it. If you cross the line, you should receive punishment. We believe in liberty and justice for all, right? That's what's ingrained into us. We even say it when we say the Pledge of Allegiance justice for all you get what you deserve but Jesus turned it on its top 
and turned it backwards. It's kind of like saying, it's kind of like saying, you won't get a paycheck if you don't pay your employer. Okay? Kind of doesn't make sense. Or it's like saying, if you don't feed the dog, you don't get supper. Okay? Or it's like saying, if you don't change a bunch of diapers, you can't use the toilet paper. Okay? It's just, we don't think that way. You know, we just don't think that way. It's topsy-turvy. But, but this is what I think is true about most of us. If you're taking notes today, you might jot this down. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you could write this line down because I think it's true. We are quick to expect mercy, but we are slow to offer mercy. We are quick to expect mercy, but we are slow to offer mercy. If I could paraphrase this beatitude of Jesus, it might be something like this. Look, if you don't give mercy, you're not going to get mercy from God. If you don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive you. Now, as you think about that for a minute, we have to be a little bit careful because this beatitude is not suggesting that uh, that our, our salvation is earned by our own effort. That's not what it's saying. But rather what Jesus is saying is that mercy for others is an evidence of our own salvation. If we've been saved, if we've been forgiven by Jesus, we are obliged, we are obligated to extend mercy to other people. Does that make sense? Now let me ask you this question this morning. How much have you been forgiven? I left a a big space there in your notes, and and I just want to ask you, if you could quantify how much you have been forgiven, how much would it be? Put a dollar amount. Maybe it would be, I don't know, $100, $1,000, $2,000, a million dollars. How much have you been forgiven? How much would it be? Um, I I brought with me a, a nice, crisp $20 bill. And I want to offer this $20 bill to anybody who would be willing to stand before God and be accountable for all of the sins I have ever committed. Any takers? You'll you'll stand before God. He just wants the 20. You're willing to stand before God and be accountable for every sin that I've ever committed. For $20? You should probably talk to my mom before you take the 20. I was a rotten kid. I I just want you to know that. (laughs) What'd you say? We all were. We all were. Well, and, and you illustrate my point really well. Because God doesn't judge on a sliding scale. He doesn't judge on a sliding scale. And this is this is the problem really with the way we think sometimes. Okay? Uh Listen to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says, the soul who dies, I'm sorry, the soul who what? Sins shall die. Say that out loud. The soul who sins shall die. Somebody walked up to me a few weeks ago, somebody that's new to Connect Church. They're not here today, so I won't embarrass them. <laughs> but, but they walked up to me about a month ago, and, and this woman looked me in the eyes, dead serious, and she said, Russ, have you ever done anything bad? <laughs> 
she clearly hasn't attended long enough to know. <laughs> yes, I've done terrible things. I, I'm a rotten, miserable, sinning, I, I'm a rotten guy. And, and you know what? You're rotten too. And, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you quantify it. I asked you to put a dollar amount. I don't know what you put down. But even if you put a million, billion, trillion, gazillion dollars in that space, it's not enough for you to pay for what you've done. Even if all you've ever done is told a white lie, if that's the only bad thing you've ever done, the penalty for sin, according to the Bible, is you die. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you work for something, you get a paycheck, right? And so if you work at sin and you do bad things, the paycheck in the end is death, eternal damnation, burning in hell. That's the wages of your sin. And no amount of money and not a a, a flimsy $20 bill is going to pay for your sin. It's not going to pay for mine. Okay, now that you've read that, do you still want the 20 to stand before God and be accountable for all of my sins? Nope, he backed (laughs) off of it. Now the good news is, the the, the end of Romans 6.23 is this, the free gift of God is what? Say it out loud. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. And so if we've come to Christ, if, if Christ is living in our hearts, when we stand before God someday, we don't have to pay the penalty for our sins. We're not going to be zapped out of existence. We're not going to burn in hell forever because Jesus has offered us eternal life. But the struggle is, Jesus said, if you have experienced that, you are obligated to extend mercy to others. Let me ask you this this morning. Who are you struggling to forgive in your life? Is it the wife who cheated on you? Is it the husband who hit you and brutalized you? Is it your mom that when you were little belittled you and made you feel like a fool? Was it the bully that picked on you day after day after day on the playground? Was it the thief that stole from you or the business partner that ruined you or the boss that fired you unjustifiably, or for some of you, the narc who squealed on you and you took the hit for what somebody else did or colluded with you. I don't know what it is for you, but if you're like me, there are people that you just struggle to extend mercy to. And so how I wanna wrap up today is by sharing this with you. Very simple truth. Jesus shows us how to be merciful. Jesus shows us how to be merciful. And I want us to read Hebrews 2, 17, and I want to make four observations, and then we'll wrap this up today, on how to be merciful with other people. Hebrews 2, 17 says this. Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. And then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Terry, would you just leave that verse up there? And if you're taking notes today, you can, you can jot these four next steps down. But I, I just want that verse up there so that we can see it together as I give you four ways that you can be merciful. In, by the example of Jesus. 
The first thing that I see that Jesus did was that he cultivated empathy. And if we're going to be merciful, we need to cultivate empathy. You see what this says? Go back if you would, Terry, please, and just keep it on this previous screen. It says, it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us. You see, Jesus was God. He created us. But for some reason that is, is beyond my comprehension, it was necessary for him to come and live as an, a man. And according to the writer of Hebrews, it, 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 it caused him to be empathetic. He understands. In fact, somewhere else in Hebrews, it says that he understands our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way like we were. And because he experienced what we experienced, it, it, it made him empathetic. He feels what we feel. He knows what we know. He sees what we see. And, and when we struggle to forgive and extend mercy to somebody else, Jesus gets it because he lived like us. And if you want to extend mercy to somebody else, if there's somebody that has hurt you so bad and you're struggling to forgive and extend mercy, I want you to know that the first step is to cultivate empathy. Walk a mile in their shoes. Put yourself in their place. Try to wrap your mind around what they're experiencing and why they behave the way they do. Because generally, if you can put yourself in their place, you can begin to feel something for them that goes beyond the bitterness and the hatred that has come because of the hurt. Cultivate empathy. Here's the second thing that we see here in this verse. It says that Jesus could be our merciful and faithful high priest. Two words there. The first one is mercy. You extend mercy is number one, or number two. You extend mercy, which is what Jesus did. And, and, and what that means is instead of keeping all of the mercy, all the forgiveness for yourself, we've been forgiven by God, right? Jesus has washed our sins away. Instead of keeping that all for me, I extend it. I give it away to anybody else who needs it from me. If someone has wronged me, I extend the forgiveness that Jesus has given to me. I just give it out freely because there's plenty to go around. I extend the mercy of Jesus. And then number three is the word faithful. You stay faithful is number three. Stay faithful. This is a phrase that I've been saying a lot lately as I work with people. And you might even want to write this down in your margin. Relationships are not disposable. Relationships are not disposable. And, and faithfulness means I will not cut you off because you've hurt me. I will not cut you off because I've been offended by you. I will extend mercy and I will embrace you as a brother or sister, even though you may have offended me 490 times in one day. Relationships aren't disposable. And then lastly, what we see in Jesus is this. It says, then he offered a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Number four in your notes is, you absorb the cost. Part of being merciful is being willing to pay for whatever somebody else owes. Jesus paid the ultimate penalty of death for me so that I could be reconciled to the Father. What do you have to absorb in order to forgive somebody else? You may never get an apology for somebody that has hurt you. 
You may never get repayment for what somebody has stolen from you or taken from you. It may never come, but being merciful means that you absorb the cost yourself and let it go. Let it go. Absorb the cost. And the bottom line is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If Jesus has forgiven me, I must do the same. I must do the same. I am so deeply thankful for the forgiveness of Jesus. How about you? But I'm also deeply sobered by this particular beatitude that tells me I'm blessed if I'm merciful because I've already received mercy. So I'd like us to pray together. Just before we do, let me tell you what's going to happen. Um, I'm really excited to be here today, but not just because this is a new place, but we've been waiting for a long time to have a place where we don't have to clean up right after church. We can just stay and mingle, love one another. And in particular, one of the things we've been waiting for is a place where we can minister to one another in prayer. And so uh, when we're all done here uh, this morning, we're going to use this space right over here to my left as a, a prayer area. And our prayer ministers are going to gather over there and, and pray with people. Um, Davine Price is sitting right here in the front row. She came to me Friday night. We had a get-together in here Friday night. Many of you were here. And Davine came to me and she said, Russ, I need to talk to you. She said, I've been having dreams from the Lord, and they're about you. And I thought to myself, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) But she said, the Lord has been coming to her in dreams and has told her that he is going to deliver her from the habit of cigarettes today as we pray for her. So in just a couple of minutes, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to lay hands on Davine. And husband and son, the whole fam, is going to be delivered from cigarettes today. It's going to happen today. And so we're just going to have prayer ministry. And I don't know what it is that you have in your life. Maybe you need prayer today about forgiving someone. Maybe you need prayer today because you have not yet been forgiven by Jesus. And you just want to come to Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation and not worry anymore about paying the debt for your sins. Uh, Whatever it is, this is the place to do it today, and it's part of the celebration of today. I believe that God's going to do some miraculous things. So I just want to pray for us. We're going to sing, we're going to give, and then we're going to begin ministering in prayer. So would you just bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, today, I thank you so, so much, Lord, that you have offered the free gift of salvation to me. And to every person sitting in this room, Lord, you died so that we wouldn't have to die. It's this simple exchange, your sinless, perfect life for my broken, sinful, disastrous one. Your sacrifice of death for my being set free to live in in a relationship with God the Father. I thank you, God, for that exchange. And this morning I pray, Lord, that as we sing together, as we pray together, as we just rest in your presence, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us 
to develop hearts of mercy and compassion and forgiveness as we reach out to others. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing with John. Oh